So I was talking about energy and and view yesterday, I think. It's a way of of, uh, untangling the energy, the kind of things that It's where you feel the, the mind or the heart is is driven along, churned up, or suddenly flares up and then sinks down again, <clears throat> or where we can't seem to get any energy. Energy is just very stale and stagnant. So clearing the energy. So this posture. Um, just again, the whole sense of the um, breathing in and out is very useful for for posture because it, eventually your your breathing is the thing that really moderates your posture. You see, if you're too tense, then you don't breathe out fully. If you're too loose, you don't. One doesn't breathe in fully, or the breathing in fully doesn't happen. So it's a sense of uh, upright, extendedness, openness. Particularly um, for many people don't quite get the point, the subtle points of the lower back, the abdomen, where the strength has to come from the, the base of the body, not from the shoulders, not from kind of lifting yourself up through your shoulders, but through actually firming into the ground and almost, if you like, having a sense of, of pushing against the ground so you I mean that's that's putting it too coarsely but some sense of really firming into the ground so you get a sense of of rising up coming up through the the lower spine and holding the body open so that the upper body should really feel very free and uh, open <coughs> and most of us in our lives are so up in ourselves because all the sense organs are clustered up at the top end of the body and then the big action scene is up in the hands and arms and so you get a tremendous amount of stuff coming up here and so we're driven up there because when we talk about energy rising up it literally does so when we get excited we flush and it rushes up you don't find you're excited you get a sinking feeling it rushes up and your body charges up and the upper body tends to go into action red alert the face becomes tense and so forth so in an active life very often one is is you know moving up up and out a lot of the time and uh, we can get so um, sort of wired and with that that when we stop, actually we are either stay in that state or it's rather as if someone's cut the wires and there's a sort of sinking down and you find it's difficult to even sit upright. There's a feeling of, of energy sinking and stagnant because there's nothing to do or a, almost as a reaction or withdrawal. These are quite common patterns in in subtler and coarser forms. You know, so particularly when one is disappointed or irritated or overwhelmed with so much engagement and action, there can be a whole kind of withdrawal. Um, attitude which comes in which uh, a certain amount of, of wisdom in it but it can unbalance the point when something when just kind of shuts off and you, one kind of numbs out or goes dull so that the energy is not really uh, moderated it's just uh, um, stagnant or cancelled so in this middle way there's a sense of <coughs> kind of brightness and potential but not really doing anything just almost having this sense of being um, alive and, and ready with, with, with nothing particularly to engage in apart from 
being present with one's body, one's breathing processes and with what comes up in the mind. Because <clears throat> when you do walking, just notice uh, again the tendency can be to clamp around the, the upper body, the shoulders. So you find, uh, particularly because uh, when we do walking, we may very well find ourselves um, distressed by eye contact so that the head can tip over, so your head, head tips over, and then you get this kind of tightening in the neck and uh, trying to compose oneself. One sometimes pins, finds oneself pinning the, sh- pinning the chest in with the arms or the shoulders droop over, so you walk over in a slightly hunched way and it gets tight and after about half an hour of that you're feeling quite uh, constricted and something really wants to break out of it it gets difficult so I really recommend trying to walk in a, in a way of opening the body doesn't mean looking at everything or flapping your arms around but just sense of almost moving up into the upper chest you don't actually need to tip the head over so you can maintain eye restraint either by just slightly diverting the eyelids, looking down, and by keeping a soft focus, you don't actually need to tip the head over to do that, you know, the head up. So there's a sense of body is, is in a, getting the signaling of being awake. <clears throat> so because of the connections between the body and the, and the perception or the, the perception base, that's the chitta, the heart base, um, uh, the, and the thinking, then it's as if certain bodily um, positions and actions evoke particular moods. So if you walk along with your, uh, your, uh, your head bent over and your shoulders tipped over, then the body seems to signal a kind of depression, uh, brooding. If you notice when, um, because that particular position is associated with thought, you know, you you sort of crunch up and think something. Mm. Or you walk up and down, uh, lost in thought, so the head is turned over because that's almost like a signal to the body to do that. Um, so we might, uh, you know, obviously, you know, lying down, the signal is to go to sleep. And the body feels that, it's all right, this is it, time to switch off. Why, you know, reclining meditation sometimes requires quite a bit of skill to stay or positioning the body in a very uh, clear way when you recline so you can stay, the body doesn't get that message. What's it like if we, when we're walking or sitting, we just imagine that the space around us is really benevolent and uh, it's something you're glad to meet. Not the objects in it necessarily, it's not we're looking at or reaching out for any particular object, just the space itself is, is benevolent and you, you're glad to meet it as if you're chesting into a, into a wave, you know, something you really wants to be present for that. Mm means when you're going into the sea and you can actually want to feel the, the water and something it kind of opens up. Of course there isn't any water there, it's starting to rain a bit. But uh, so you're just imagining what that would be like. You know, that, that giving that message. You know, the present moment is fine and, and welcome and, and glad and and a sense of you know, brooding, intensity, problematic, and to find something, you know, if we can just, you know, or, or get somewhere, or develop something, or get rid of something, we just, you know, that those perceptual uh, moods, shadows, that uh, actually have bodily effects, and the bodily position can generate those particular effects. So sometimes, you know, you know, people would rather go for a walk than do walking meditation because walking feels kind of free and walking meditation feels so so constrained or 
or we don't want to sit, we don't want to walk, we would like to sit because walking somehow makes one feel too um, vulnerable or exposed or mind can't concentrate. But you know, but to develop it so that because actually walking meditation is a lot of learning you can do about how to moderate your contact in in ordinary activities. You know, you can be open and receptive without having to engage with everything. You know, there's some sense of, of holding your space when you walk along. It's a really useful thing to learn. And that you can actually maintain a center, centeredness and, and a spaciousness with things kind of happening. The sense organs don't have to, have to reach out. It's essentially, you know, generating a particular composure so the energy is, is held within the body, doesn't reach out through the senses. And this is the ways in which you can cultivate and moderate energy, um, pick it up, open it up, brighten it up, keep it steady. Mm. Using the body in this way. And so one of our first um, kind of lessons in meditation is how the body can calm the mind. In a way, we begin. We might begin with the mind, with making a deliberate intention, a deliberate um, approach, a deliberate sense of well, let's let's do some practice, and then you actually then go to the body, using the body to calm the mind, to moderate its energies, uh, and that's you know kind of like main mainstream theme of of meditation be it, you know, whatever the techniques are, it's the kind of main main bit of it, standing, walking, sitting, lying down. And really, uh, in terms of direct um, experience, you know, so not just on ideas or reflections, but just really on direct experience, the Buddha didn't teach a lot more than that, only this and mindfulness of breathing. So he taught things like um, a supa, where you can consider and, and uh, imagine and bring up. So you deliberately induce particular things, um, or metta, and you can use these. But those are just really being, you know, moderating the energies and, and being and using you use the body and the breathing. Or actually you use the Kaya Sankara, which is the bodily formation. This is the dynamic process of body. It's not um, you know, like a super you you're looking at the, the actual structures the visual the things we can see, the, the structures of the body, the uh, organs, the flesh, the bones, and so forth, and considering their, looking at them like that, and reflecting on them, considering their, their nature to break up, to not be attractive by, by themselves. Um, so that's, if you like, that's the purely the, the material aspect of it. But the, the Kaya Sankara is the dynamic um, experience of body that we're having and breathing is the center and the, the leader the thing that gathers all that together Kaya Sankara so um, and then calming the mind we're really referring to Chitta Sankara which is this the activities of the heart the interpretations it makes, um, being delighted, being repelled, um, the feelings, one might say that the very feeling of pleasure and pain, are not, not the physical ones, but the ones that we derive mentally or emotionally from sense contact. You feel pleased by taste or repelled by it. 
things, um, we get pleased by thoughts or repelled by them, and we get pleased or repelled by our own moods and emotions. So, you, you know, jitta-sankara is all this, and the rising up that. And th- this is where, this is um, the activity or dynamic process of citta. So, calming that, steadying it, reviewing it. Because this is where we, the karma gets generated. The most important base of karma is mental karma or the, the karma from the activities of the heart. So even though we may be verbally silent, physically still, we can still be cooking up a lot of um, karma form, karma activities in the heart. So you know, certainly they they are. um, We're not acting on them or or, or talking them out. That is uh, helps to to lessen it. But still, one does keep generating particular attitudes and patterns of um, which are, um, yeah, are craving or wanting um, distress, fear, worry and so forth common mm-hmm. formations wanting something to happen, wanting to get somewhere so you know, when you calm some of these steady something, give them something pleasant to, to dwell in. That's a, the samadhi practices. Using the, just getting the, the jitta sankara to, to feed on the bodily um, kaya sankara. So you pick up the tone from the steadiness of the body. You pick up the perception or the meaning from the steadiness of the body. You pick up the feeling from the the ease of the body, the ease of the breathing. And uh, this is a, of course, you know, we can also develop meaning from loving kindness, from um, uh, wise reflections, so forth. So you derive a particular meaning that uplifts or supports. So it, it calms and reassures that particular formation. Sankara is dependent upon um, three things. So one is um, craving or wanting, reaching out. One is contact, it's just the very sense of, of external contact generates this designation contact, internal contact. So once the heart is stimulated, then it starts to resonate, move, sankara. That's happening. And it's also, sankara also dependent upon avijja or ignorance, not seeing, or seeing things other than they are, we might say. So how do we see things other than they are? We, we imagine um, selfhood, we imagine uh, ability to control and have and own and get and gain and become and avoid becoming. We imagine we imagine all this. Uh, we we keep pre- pressing that onto experience. One could be something, have something, get something, get rid of something, and therefore be, you know, uh, in a, in a better position. Um, but uh, what we find w- with this uh, is, is that well, you you can you can certainly you can become something and you can be something and get something, but it doesn't actually put one in a radically better position. You're still on the on the in the circuit, if you like, still on the on the track, still in the game. 
to become something else or not become something or hold on to what one has or so forth so it's still in there so there's still the, the pot- potential for uh, craving is still there mm. so and it just keeps going it finds another set of possibilities so the, the this is not getting this um, or only having an intellectual grasp of it sometimes not really getting it is is the basis for the craving <coughs> ignorance is the basis for craving craving is the basis for sankaras so very often when we have these opportunities for meditation you know then in a way the the contact <coughs> external contact is is as a standard you know quite limited minimal channeled controlled internal contact again is something we we begin to put aside the the basis for that the um, planning the um, you know the, the the topics that we can be, be dealing with in our in our lives and this is quite you know careful process just to be able to clear clear space say well let's just put that aside or stop that or do this one so we can tie it up you know the aim of finishing things or just just to to um, mean that one's heart isn't continually mulling things over or regretting something or anticipating or planning mm-hmm. so that you kind of quietening the base for, for contact um, and, and then this literally means that the heart tends to steady a little more it's not getting so much input of course, this is, you know, always um, in terms of external structures is always percentage-wise because, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit bit of a toss-up really um, as to whether how how well one wants the external situations, how how what does a settled mean? You know, one person's settled is another person's untidy not settled, you know, so you can have that kind of um, bit where uh, there's things that, you know, individually we may feel we need to be with or work out or sort out. So, you know, you see, a group retreat can only offer so much as an approximation or to set down some themes knowing and you know for yourself how you have to clear space and how much can be cleared and how much one just works with the sense of in some ways one's business is always unfinished and can it just be that particular um, sense that particular urge that particular uh, nagging quality can we just sort of just relax it you know or or choose what we're going to do about that life is an unfinishable business in some ways still the strong encouragement is to to, it's going forth stopping letting go main tendency of it and being prepared to to be with the uncertain where you can only moderate the energies so much because there's still the ongoing life force, we're still in a context and so how we actually view ourselves, our lives who we are, what we're about, what we're supposed to be doing all those views around ourselves actually provide the basis for 
contact, for contact impressions, you know. How does this strike me as, you know, if I'm, if I'm experiencing myself as the abbot of a monastery, then naturally this means that certain contact impressions arise that wouldn't arise if one was a, a lay guest. You know, you know, things you just don't have to bear in mind or think about or be on, on, on the alert for. So, you know, how one certainly role and function um, and these self-views, even though one may very well intellectually recognize it's just the role and the function, still there's those effects, the basis for contact impressions, how one considers oneself as a monk or as a guest, as a visitor, as a long-term person, person making a lifetime commitment, whatever, then these things all have their um, you know, charge in them, the view. So how the view generates contact. Hmm? So you can only really moderate contact and, and the kind of energies that come from that to a certain extent because as long as one still, you know, the degree to which one is held by the view, the self-view, is, is the basis for further contact. Isn't it? So I just notice when I go to other monasteries, it's, I feel quite different. <laughs> you know, even though I, in many ways, I value and prefer this one, and in a way I, you know, and also because I'm interested in learning about uh, view, about how I, how firmly I hold myself as somebody, and how that happens, how that arises. Uh, how much I find myself bound in it, how I can uh, internally and externally uh, loosen it, see through it. So what are the kind of um, things that can happen to any, any of us, I imagine, when we, look, when we regard ourselves, or probably wants to feel... Um, you know, valuable, useful in some way, respected, at least not, not disrespected, <laughs> not despised or considered useless or laughed at or mocked or scorned or whatever. You know, you know we want to feel that. So that, that's a base for contact, is it both generates how I hold myself and it generates the kind of actions I go to because I want to do something to, to feel you know, I'm okay, I'm doing the right thing, I'm okay here, I'm not being a nuisance, and so on. Um, so we get this kind of thing can be happening for any of us who probably wants to, to um, you know, make life pleasant, you know, feel one's uh, being, making other people's life a little more enjoyable or richer in some way or another. And these are, these are, I would expect pretty uh, common senses. You look at, contemplate those kind of urges, those instincts, and these are these unskillful or wrong or whatever. We probably imagine if we're meditating, we'd like to be better at it than we were five years ago, uh, or one year ago, or whatever. Like, you know, I don't want to be worse. I like to feel that uh, my, my mind is getting improved rather than worse in some way or another. So that kind of, you know, that's a basis for view, isn't it? For I am this, I was that, I will be this. I'm not that yet, I want to be this. Are these kind of, are these, un, are these unskillful? Um, and we, I'm, surely these are not unskillful aspirations and senses to have. Uh, when one holds them, or when they're held as a definition of what I, uh, of what I am, rather than the kind of um, energies that come from good karma. Some of them may have elements mixed karma, you know, there's a sort of neurotic feeling of inadequacy rather than a recognition of, you know, well, I could help out. 
so there may be mixtures of them but that's a that's something to to work out contemplate that's certainly with just to be able to have those aspirations and concerns and that potential for skillfulness and that's it's that that's what that is it's that that's a karma formation so actually we're not part is not really about eliminating karma formations per se you can calm them put them aside drop a certain amount make them improve them but um, the you know we see the characteristic of the Buddhist path is there's a certain there's a degree in which it seems that what our mission is is to you know calm everything and make everything stop you know stop these sankharas pumping away and yeah okay we got that and then the, but then actually you notice that um, Nibbana is something that's accessible from uh, places like the first jhana or the Brahma Vihara where clearly Sankaras are still operating the energies are still present there's still that activity this mind is still um, sensing things feeling things responding to things there's a kind of dynamic process there uh, and um, the Buddha also said that even these very refined realms such as neither perception nor non-perception these aren't where the sankara is is extremely diminished, or even cessation is not that's not the same as nibbana. So it's a really the it's not actually just completely about you know stopping everything. There's a certain stopping of what's unskillful, getting in touch, with knowing how to handle it, and the more you can handle these energies, the moods, the emotions, just doesn't mean controlling it means actually feeling them, sensing them, contemplating them, uh, not getting snagged in them you know, so there's a certain but allowing, a certain kind of space to, for them to be manifest, so we contemplate them and so the, the really essential thing is the view, the self view um, is, is weakened because we see if you incline towards non-existence things do arise and if you incline towards existence things do cease and the middle way is in between the two in a, the arising and ceasing and the not the snagging and the view this is myself, this is where I lock, this is where I freeze, this is where I stop, this is what I am this is what, where I'm going to be this I'm never going to be anything but all this kind of stuff, there's the locking which you might be able to feel in a certain way, almost on an energetic level. You know, certainly when it gets gross, it becomes a kind of frozen uh, rigidity that expresses itself in terms of um, the body and also in terms of emotional patterns that get very forceful and, and uh, one gets um, you know, angry or depressed as you get a kind of really strong emotional patterning rather than middle way is much more you know, equanimous or tranquil, contented. You know, it's not numb, but it's sensitive. But it doesn't flare up and lock into these patterns. Because as, you, as we recognize, when, it, when our heart locks on a particular thing, particular problem or difficulty or source of pleasure, holds it, then you can feel the pressure builds up and that thing begins to magnify. You know, this is what's called... Uh, proliferation yeah? you know, so, so something that was, wasn't so good actually you know, there's a locking onto that and it just goes round and round and round and round in the heart and if it goes round it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and nastier and messier and more total this means that something, something's actually stopping that from flowing through uh, we can't be open to that we can't let that the unpleasant be the unpleasant um, or the pleasant be the pleasant there's, there's aversion or, or greed gets associated with it so you get this proliferation effect where the thing gets turbocharged and dominates so you know we, it's, you see the so that's how the sankara is, is really um, getting held by 
of you. What locks it? What locks these things? What locks these heart energies? Um, somewhere along the line, you know, beneath many other things, if it's locking, then somewhere there's a self-view there. There's this shouldn't happen to me, or I want more of this, or this is what I am, or this is what I'm not, um, or this is the way she is, or she is this, or he is that, so forth. Something actually is holding it into that particular um, casing, and then the, the demon arises. So one of our uh, practices is to be able to experience the, the agreeable and disagreeable without locking on them, without snagging on them. The feeling is this way. There's the agreeable, the disagreeable. Feeling is this way. Mm. So though there's the there's a contact impression there, uh, we can find a way whereby it is not generating these uh, sankharas, this build up emotional pressure, and it's it's actually you know the subtle point of it is by being in contact with contact, <laughs> it actually feeling the feeling in the feeling, being in contact with the contact. How is that? And that's pleasant, that's unpleasant. Because yeah. if we don't, we're not aware on that level, if we're not attentive on that level, then these things will happen automatically. So one doesn't um, come out of it through not having contact, one doesn't come out of it through inattentive contact. Uh, one comes out of it through full awareness of contact, contact impression. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we don't have to do a lot here because that contact impression is happening whenever we just, with our breath or our body or our thoughts or the moves that happen or, you know, things like warmth and coolness and hunger and uh, pain and uh, memory and so forth there's plenty going on there you can't be in contact with how contact is this is agreeable this is disagreeable because the nature of, of all this feelings and even the volitional twitches that come out of those is that they are by themselves they actually are impermanent and they they are not self we don't have to make them that way so the sankharas actually undo themselves when the view is uh, resisted they undo themselves, they don't build up, they actually uh, tend to uh, empty or decline. In certainly in in um, meditation and it's it's kind of pointed to in the Anapanasati Sutta, the third tetrad, where the Buddha is referring to, to Chitta, having in the second tetrad referred to the, the Chitta Sankara, which is, if you like, the emotive patterning of, of, of Chitta. And he's, then he talks about Chitta, so there's a difference. By emotive patterning, I don't mean the emotions themselves, although they come out of it, I mean the very resonance, the very feeling quality of heart 
you know, before it establishes a pattern like, you know, joy or, or irritation, just the sense of that being moved, the movability and the patterning of that, the way they're kind of the rising up, the sinking down, the thrilling, the uh, t- tensing, you know, those, those, those patterns which are associated with um, knowing something, you know, you get some kind of feel for it. You know, when we calm that, or become more able to, to, to moderate that, to reflect on it, to, 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 to soothe it through, through body meditation, and you, you can begin to, as, as if you like, the, the content becomes quieter or steadier. You can actually sort of sense jitta as being that which has the potential to feel. So it's rather like a vibrant quality. And then upon that, you get particular patterns, get played, you know, happy, sad, and so on knowing, not knowing, you know, and the turbulence of that. But you've got, if you like, a, that's the, those are the, the actors that walk across the stage of the chitta. There's a continual flow of them, wearing kinds of costumes. But in the stage, the chitta itself becomes more apparent because there's less of these, these characters. And they, they're, they're coming up much more regularly. So... We, the chitta is sometimes something like the knowing, but it's not an intellectual knowing, it's a, a sensing knowing. We might, you know, sometimes people think of words like pure awareness or, um, you know, whatever language can do. Uh, but chitta is this heart knowing. So it's this which can know or notice how pleasure and pain are without adding to it. How agreeable and disagreeable, familiar, unfamiliar are without, without throwing more stuff into the mix, as it were. So this is the, you know, the whole realm of the third foundation of mindfulness is to know this is the mind affected by fear or affected by joy or affected by lust or affected by you know whatever so you know so, so rather than just being in there with the fear and then acting upon it or resisting it or you know blaming oneself or other people this is the this is the this is what it, this is the fear feeling it kind of rushes through and so yeah, I mean, as, as references, sometimes it's rather like, I might say you, you have to kind of widen your attention beyond the feeling into the ability to feel, or the know, knowing or comprehending the feeling. Mm. So the, the chitta is rather sort of like a wider focus. That may, may be helpful to consider it rather like that. It's a very open state. As a, a meditation um, theme, we could sometimes you think like knowing, knowing the unknowing. So the sankharas are always formulating. Yeah. We, inter- we receive something, a contact impression, and that acts as a base for formulating. The formulating activity is the sankhara. So it touches, and then, and you get this kind of little. This means that, this means this, this means that. this is what we can do about it. This little buzz happens. That's the Sankara bit. And so one can be pretty busy, uh, sort of, you know, assessing and, you know, for good or for bad, assessing oneself and others and today and tomorrow and so on. That's the, that's the Sankara bit of it. What we do recognize is it takes a little bit of time, doesn't it? 
So people who've just, uh, you know, come to Chithurst for this time, either visitors, guests, or the uh, new incoming summoners, you know, it takes a little bit of time before one starts really sussing the place out, isn't it? The first of you coming, oh, what's happening? What am I supposed to do? And it's a sort of open state, perhaps a little bit nervous, and then pretty, pretty soon you start to get what one thinks the plot is. <laughs> and the storyline is, and what the real, real deal is, you know, where the good, the bad, and the ugly bits are, and the nice bits. And so as you get more and more patterned into it, it takes a little bit of time. So when one first comes to a place, the mind is just open. And then we start to know. And then gradually, the knowing becomes so dense, you don't even see the place anymore. One's just walking around in one's own virtual reality of, of Chithurst, Chittavivaka Monastery. And it's like this, it's like, wow. And it becomes impregnated with one's kind of joys and sorrows. <laughs> it just becomes a kind of mandala <laughs> of joy and sorrow. It becomes a mandala of oneself, actually. That's so why it gets so, so <laughs> dense <laughs> and in, intense, you know. And everything gets, it's got this, all the stickiness of, of one's own kind of unresolved self bits uh, on it. And then when you go somewhere fresh, oh, this is fine, wow, Ooh, breath, fresh air, great. And then, you know, a couple of days later, it starts going again. <laughs> And then after a year, you use that place up and go somewhere else. <laughs> you know, when you meet, meet someone for the first time, there's a, all the senses around trying to suss out where's this guy really at, what's he about? You know, is he dangerous, friendly? Where's his buttons? Is he, he going to blow up? Is he okay? Start to suss it out, and then you, and you get the fine details. It's like a, uh, you continue combing. And you find, oh, look, there's a button there, I better not push that one. You, know. <laughs> you get to suss people out. So you're walking around with this kind of virtual map of this, this person. And when they're not there, they're still there. And eventually, they're, they're more there when they're not there than when they are there. You can sit in your cootie and have them right there, 3D, you know. <laughs> still winding you up. You know. <laughs> Or whatever, you know, source of joy or something, whatever it is. Or a mixture, but churning away. But when we don't know, is that stupid? But it takes, just to recognize, it takes a little bit of time. And knowing starts, the, the formulations begin immediately. But there is a at first, they're, they're, they're very sketchy. You know, so you're just noticing something like that. And recognize that really, really in the present moment, you don't know. Right in the present moment, one doesn't, hasn't formulated. There's, a, there's an, an awareness that's before formulation. So the sankara is not, uh, you know, innate. It's something that's formulated. It takes a little bit of time to get it going. Yeah. This does give us the hint that, you know, if we really could get right back there, and disengage and see through and not be, uh, you know, caught in this stuff one way or another. And you could sharpen it. You could get to a place where asankata, non-sankara, the unconditioned, which is uh, one way of expressing the Buddhist goal. Knowing the unknowing. And then the recognizing that the formulations arise out of the out of that unknowing, and then they disband again.
because unknowing is such a, a, a kind of alarm signal for sentient beings because things might be dangerous, they might do something terrible, something might, wrong might happen, you know, or there could be something good out there that I'm missing out on. And any sentient being has got those kind of um, sankharas running. Then uh, to actually disband it means we have to feel a sense of safety, uh, both safe and also nourished. You're you're getting getting enough, you're getting the good juice, however you see that, whether it's material or immaterial, you're getting the, the respect the uh, the warmth, the uh, encouragement, the friendships—you know these kinds of things that actually nourish one. A sense of um, somehow being lifted by one's companions rather than pushed down. So you're getting some food, food for the heart, uh, and then we feel safe. You know, nothing's going to crash down on me. As safe as you can be in this incarnation. So this means in some ways we've got that, the whole sense of precepts, refuge, meditation, retreat, monastery, Kalyana Mitta is setting up the, the container for that. So that we may be able to, to quell the nervousness or the uncertainties and more a sense of trust in the present. We don't, then we don't have to know. And we, you know, so just do it for 20 minutes, you know. not forever, but 20 minutes. So just so you get in touch with that, that, that quality. And then you're know, recognizing that the known is the condition of rises, thoughts, ideas, perceptions, and then we don't want to uh, establish ourselves on those or to even deny that they exist there's a sense in which they can pass freely they flow freely and uh, certainly in our conventional lives the whole juggling match of it all is how to to handle this stuff you know, how to tell which ones to be let go of completely let pass, which ones to be reviewed, which ones to be brought out, manifested, and so on. But for the purposes of meditation, then you know, where is the place where they where they cease, where they where they rest? Can the sense of unknowing, instead of being a feeling of alarm or uncertainty or nervousness or inadequacy? be something that we deliberately uplift mm. quality of trust we uplift it meaning, by so, not saying this means that, you know, I, I uplift it by having a trust in the object but feel the sense of the, the openness and actually uh, rejoice in it, gladdening it gladdening the citta Just rejoicing in the ability to have that, that sensitivity, that awareness steadying it and freeing it from both the hindrances and the view that this, even this is not mine, doesn't have to be mine, doesn't have to have that be frozen into that. Because if we take uh, that relative degree of emptiness as something that, that we are as some kind of higher self or you know entity then there's going there's always resistance to, or um, to formations to to thoughts and feelings so you build up a basis for aversion or clinging to non-existence but to put it very simply just when you 
feeling those uh, those pressures, those certainties, particularly the ones that you know are defining who you are. And this can be um, feeling, what do people think of me? You know, am I doing well enough? So these these are very potent. Not they're not late. They're not conceptual. Over they're per- perceptual ones. How am I seen? Uh, then probably probably not probably not probably not 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 right not good not something just to really don't know Mm. and then so if you you, actually if you don't know I mean I imagine people think all kinds of things one way or another but what you when you actually put that aside then what you can recognise is is what you're really experiencing is how, how you're seeing yourself, not how you, how other people, how you think other people see you, how you fear other people see you. You actually how you're, you're sitting in a sphere that has uh, fear, mistrust, a degree of ill will in it. It's obviously not that necessarily that intense. So sometimes it can get very intense. But the general kind of cloud of this is what I am. And so opening to a space where there's a sense of glad. Really, you know, it's up to us individually and deeply, you know, look into the unwelcome cloud. And stop, stop doing that. No one else can really dispel that, no matter what is said or, or done. So when you actually start to check how you know in, in this perceptual way. So perceptual means it's more a intuitive, vague, unformed, not spoken, sort of feeling sense, you know? that's, that's the mental perception. And it, it's obviously it can get um, details depending on which particular experiences we remember or connect it to. But uh, in the immediacy of meditation, putting aside the past and the future and um, these these bases, just the very quality of the space that you're sitting in or walking in, the perceptual space. Is it one where you've got to be something? Why? You know, is it something where you've got to find something or do something or? not be something or you know so you start to kind of unravel some of these compulsions and the the wish to be and then uh, so something is already as as an idea of what we are or a mood of what we are now we can't dispel that intellectually because your thinking mind can always find some way which you can turn it around but to, to, so it's so like you can never become free it's become increasingly obvious to me you can never do anything to become free you can only stop being un, unfree you know, you know, you see the trap coming up. You can stop doing that. Stop going into it. Rev- you know, actually contact it. What it feels like: the closing down, the being pressed, the not being, the being shut out, the being compelled. You know, that's the energy of that. That's the sankara. No? So, the sense of right now, in this present moment, against the edge of your mind, it's free. You don't know. There's all the possibilities. So rejoice in that. Um, steady, steady in that. Steady your awareness in that. 
continual openness so that these senses of regret and vague nuances of shame or fear or whatever it is you see these, these which aren't necessarily that, that strident where they're a continual smog that can sit around the heart So when we come to the present, either through touching a present feeling in the body, or present um, sensation in the body, or present um, rhythm or mood in the heart, and the knowing of that, you know, the, the thing itself, and then the knowing of it, going to the, the sensing or the knowing of it, and there's, that's completely open, 